You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Anyway, uh, last week we were in Mark chapter 15. We're going to finish up that. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you've got it with you, uh, open up to Mark 15. We're going to finish up that chapter and get into 16. Uh, and then so last week we looked at the cross and we talked about how uh, I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, but I was really excited about last week because so frequently I feel like we skip the cross when we do Easter, right? Like unless there's a dedicated Good Friday service, most of the time we just talk about the resurrection. And so I, I really enjoyed last week studying and, and speaking about the cross and the power that it has and what it has done for us. And then this week we get to the end immediately after the cross. And I want to pick up in chapter the 15, starting in verse 42. It said, When the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. When he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped it in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut into a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw where he was laid. So as we get to the end of chapter 15, you there's again this series of this, this uh, feeling of everything is lost. This, I don't know what's going to happen. We talked about Peter a couple weeks ago when Jesus was first arrested, that he goes into this state of denial because I think that everyone in this moment, Jesus is dead and now buried. They're really down for lack of a better term. They're really distraught and lost and confused because they don't know what has just happened. Everything they thought was going to happen is now out the window. And I think we have a tendency to say, because we know the, the whole story, we're like, well, don't you know it's coming? Don't you know? Like, yeah, the t they rolled the big stone there, but it's, you know, when you show up in three days, it's not going to be there, right? Like, that's kind of how we look at this story. And we don't really take a time to say, man, they were really lost. This is, they had no idea what, what had just happened. Just like whatever you are in the middle of, whatever situation you're in, you don't know how it's going to go. So you might be struggling with, with fear or feeling defeated or depression or anxiety. But if your future self were to walk up to you, they would say, well, don't you know what's coming? Don't you know? You don't have to worry about that. That was such a little thing. You got to worry about this thing. You know, like they would, when they have some perspective and you know how it's going to go, we have a tendency to say, well, what are you, what are you worried about? But when we're in the moment, it seems so much bigger. But if our future self could walk up, they would say, don't you know, victory is coming. I think that's the same thing we would tell the disciples and, and Mary, both Marys who are standing there is, victory is coming. I know that I'm different in this, but I like movies where the person who's supposed to win doesn't win. Right? Like, 
We've all seen, like, you pick any sports movie, and you're like, well, we know the team that the movie's named after is gonna win. Like, there's no doubt when you're watching The Mighty Ducks, you're like, I mean, they're really bad. But, like, they made a movie out of it, so of course they're gonna win. I'm just kidding. I don't remember Mighty Ducks that well, so hopefully I'm not giving anything away, but, I mean, we can all assume, right? Like, that's kind of why I like... Full disclosure, I've only seen like two of them, but that's why I like the Rocky movies is there's no guarantee he's going to win, right? Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen all the Rockies, he doesn't always win. And I like that. I appreciate that. But most people, when you go to a movie and there's a sports movie, you're like, oh, well, we know who's going to win, right? But we don't take that approach to life. We don't take that approach to our life. We look at the situation we're in. We're like, I have no idea. I got nothing. I have no idea how this is going to play out. I feel like I'm going to lose. I feel like I'm on the wrong end of the scoreboard. But if our future selves could come to us, if we just remind ourselves that victory is coming. Because God has already won. And I could say that because God exists outside of time. It's a big concept, right? I still don't, it blows my mind a little bit, right? Like God exists outside of time. And we know this because he created time. And if God was constrained by time, then he would not be the most powerful thing in all of the universe. Time would be, right? Because time would have control over God. So God exists outside of time. So when we see uh, at the end times when the enemy is defeated and thrown into the lake of fire... God is already there. Casting Crowns has a great song called Already There. And I love that idea that God is not like, he doesn't like travel to the future or back in the past. Like he's just already everywhere, right? So when we say victory is coming, it's because it's already happened. God has already won. We just haven't gotten there yet. That's the great part of our faith That we don't just have faith that Jesus made everything okay back then and it was just fine once, but that he is giving us victory. Amen? God promises in Romans, there's these two promises in Romans chapter 8 that I love. 8.28 says, for we know that all those who, sorry, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Then down to verse 38, it says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing more powerful than the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Death is maybe the most powerful thing that we see here on earth. We spend so much effort avoiding death, preparing for death, or fearing death. So when Jesus dies, everyone thinks it's over because of the power that we see death having. There's so much unknown, and that's what his followers were feeling. The unknown of death looked like it had won. They're taking their teacher, their leader, their friend. Because they didn't have the whole story. And just like we frequently make our storms bigger than they are, that's what happened here. Because they seem overwhelming in the moment. I don't know how many of you have ever been back to a place where you spent a lot of time as a kid. 
And you remember how big it was? My mom teaches now at the elementary school that I went to. And so I went back a couple years ago to visit my mom at school, and it's like, man, this school is tiny, right? Like, I feel like I could touch both walls at the same time and, like, probably touch the ceiling, right? But, like, when you're this big, you're like, this place is huge. Like, I remember there's this wall that has a big mural on it, and I was like, oh, that's not that big, right? But when you're a kid, when you're in it, you're like, this place is massive, And again, it's that perspective. It's that perspective of when you're in it, the storm seems massive. Like there's no way you can get out. But when you look back on it, you start to realize how small it is. We can have that same perspective if we let God have our storms. If we understood how huge our God is and how tiny our problems are compared to him, we wouldn't fear the storms nearly as much. If his followers really knew that he was God, they wouldn't have been so afraid, right? They thought death had won. They thought death had beaten him. Speaking of, your, of the unknown, again, full disclosure here. In your Bibles, in Mark 16, there's this note. If you got your Bibles, you can see that it says uh, some early manuscripts starting, it picks up right after verse 8. Some early manuscripts didn't have this. It's something like that in there. Um, and so I did a lot of studying on that this week. And if, for those of you who are here on Wednesday night, we talked about this. Um, there's a lot of discrepancy over those next few verses And so out of my desire for everything to be said on this stage to be 100% true, never based on opinion, but based on truth, I'm just going to stop at verse 8. Because I can 100% say those first eight verses with confidence are from Mark. And that's what I'm going to stick to. The rest, I can't 100% say that's exactly where it came from. So again, this is not to say don't trust it. I'm not going to tell you one way or the other whether you should believe those or don't believe those or accept those or see them as equal, that's up to you. I encourage you to do some studying on it. I did it. There's a lot to learn. I still don't know all of it. (laughs) But we're just going to stick to the first eight verses. So if you're like, why did he just stop there? That's the reason why. There's a lot of unknown, just like I talked about. One day when I get to heaven, I'll really know and I'll be able to say, hey, God, what was that with Mark 16, like 9 through 20, right? Like was What's the deal there? So we're just going to pick up in verse 1, and we're going to stick to those first eight verses. It said, When the Sabbath has, has, was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for they were trembling, and, and, and astonishment had seized them. They, had no, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. I think it's interesting here. I didn't write this down, so this is just off the top of my head reading it right here. 
that Peter, who as we, we said at the beginning of the series, is kind of the one giving his account to John Mark of all these details, right? Peter excludes himself from the disciples here. I think that in this moment, he didn't feel like he was a disciple anymore because of the denial, that he separates himself. And he says, the disciples and Peter. I wonder if that's his shame that is showing here, that in other accounts, and you see Jesus restore Peter's discipleship. And he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Ask him a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, of course I love you. And then Jesus says, then feed my sheep. And that's Jesus taking one time for each of his denials and giving him the opportunity to correct it and say, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, I'm restoring you. Go feed my sheep. And so we see this here. I think in this moment, Peter probably felt like he was not a disciple until Jesus restored him. Anyway. So the angel sitting there next to the tomb tells them, he is risen, go tell the disciples. Spread the good news. This was good news. This is the best news. This unknown, they're worried about, again, we talk about framing your your storms. They're worried about how are we going to get the stone rolled away? You know, that's what they're worried about on the way up there. I don't know how we're going to get this stone out of the way. This thing's huge. That wasn't even on the table, right? Like, that was, you're talking about something, don't worry about that. Because he is risen. Spread the good news. That's been the name of this whole series. Is in this, this world where there's just a bombarding of bad news, we have good news to share. And the good news isn't that Jesus is dead. The good news is that he's alive. And it's still hard that that is not good news on its own to people who are lost. People who don't know Jesus, that's like, okay, so a guy a couple thousand years ago, he died and you say he rose again, right? Like if you just look at the person in front of you at the grocery store and you say, he's alive, they're going to look for what tabloid you were looking at, right? Like they're like, who? Who is alive? Elvis? We knew that. We knew Elvis was alive. Like we've known that the whole time. No, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? Because there's no context. We have to know why it's good news that he's alive. I mentioned earlier the power of death that it has over us here on earth. Death is a very powerful motivator. People spend so much time and energy trying to avoid death for them and their loved ones. We lock our doors. We wear seatbelts. We go to the doctor for checkups. Some people exercise and eat well. Uh, A big part of each of these things, maybe not 100% of them, is to avoid or put off death. People are scared of death. But Jesus defeated death. That's why I love that verse in Romans that Paul Paul writing, it it really is like maybe my favorite verse in Scripture. Because it's just this like, let me tell you, everything, there's absolutely nothing that can defeat death that can beat the love of Jesus. Now I lost it. I don't know where I went. But he says, I can tell you that neither death nor life can separate us, right? That not even death, not even death, this thing that they thought for a moment, they thought death had separated them. They thought he's gone. We cannot get to him. He's left us. 
Death has beaten the love of God. And Jesus says, no, no, victory is here. That's the good news of the gospel, is that God came down to earth to, a restore, to restore a relationship that we ourselves had broken. Each one of us has sinned and breaks that relationship. So he comes and he gives up his life to take punishment for our sin. We get credit for the life that he lived, and then the result is that death is defeated for those of us who believe, that we will not die, but we will have eternal life. Amen? This isn't just good news. This is the best news. So when we lose our job, when we don't see how we can make the relationship work, and when we get a heavy diagnosis, or we don't know how we can pay the mortgage, yes, those things are bad, but they are not enough to conquer the good news. For those of us who are saved, this earth is the closest we will get to hell. Mark Lowry has a song called, It Sure Beats Hell. I think that's a great frame of mind for us to see things in, right? Like, traffic is bad, but it sure beats hell, right? Like, whatever you're in, whatever your storm is, when you put it in comparison to what it could be, it's like, eh, maybe, maybe it's not that bad. Because it doesn't conquer the best news. As we end this series, my prayer is that we would be people who are so excited about the good news, that the life of Jesus would be fresh on our minds. I want to say that first that I think that all of Scripture is important, right? Like all of it, even the parts that we question, even the so-and-so begot so-and-so. All of it is important, but I think it is vital that we as believers are regularly coming back to the Gospels, that we make a regular practice to come back and look at how Jesus lived because the examples that we get shown of a Christian life from social media or from once a week at church or whatever it might be, that's not going to be enough to show you how to live like Jesus. We have to look at how Jesus lived. We have to keep coming back to this and look at that so we can emulate it, so that we can live and love like Jesus. This has truly been my goal for the series. As we look at Mark, as we get into this book, that we will look at how Jesus lived, how Jesus loved, and that would impact and change how we live Monday through Saturday. That it's not just Sundays that we're looking at Jesus and saying, what should I do? How should I live my life? But it is Monday through Saturday that we are living and loving like Jesus. We wouldn't just be people who know a lot about church things, but that we would live like him. Church isn't supposed to be a place that we go. It's supposed to be who we are and how we live. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Anyone who claims to be a Christian, a believer, a Christ follower should walk as Jesus did. So how do we know what to do? We read how he lived. Don't look at Christian celebrities and think that's how we're supposed to do it. Don't use what other people do as an excuse for you to not do it well. Look to Jesus. Look at how he lived, how he loved, how he walked. 
And that's the power of the good news that it allows us that perspective, that we can get above the noise, all the storms, all the bad stuff that happens to us. We can kind of drown that out, kind of put on the horse blinders, if you will, and focus on the good news of the gospel. Focus on how Jesus lived. Try to drown out the flesh and the enemy that so desperately wants us to blend in and to live like the people that we see every day. He wants us to just blend in, not stand out. For those of you guys with kids, you've probably said these words at some point, or some variety of bad company corrupts good morals, right? You guys, those of you who are parents, uh, those of you who are not parents, you've heard that before, right? Like you're gonna become the people that you spend time with, the people that you hang around with. Right? So if we're supposed to be people who are drowning out the noise of the world, if we're supposed to stand out, that's not, we have to be careful what we're putting into our minds. We use that to talk about who we spend time with, but we very rarely apply it to what we're absorbing as believers. What do we put into our mind? What's your ratio of content that you're putting into your mind, being Christ-centered versus not? The books you read, the TV shows and movies you watch, the music you listen to, what you do on your phone, those things matter because just like bad company corrupts good morals, so will bad content. We have to be careful what we are surrounding ourselves with, what are we are choosing to put into our minds, choosing to focus our eyes on. Because the same idea as you are what you eat, what you put in is what you become. If you only eat healthy food, you're going to be healthy. If you only eat unhealthy food, you're going to be unhealthy. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We will be living like people with good news when we are living sacrifices because we only sacrifice for something that we think is worth it, right? That's why we struggle with diet is we're like, you know, I the unknown of I might die in a car accident, so I might, well, I might as well eat this cheesecake. Nobody cares how healthy I am in an ambulance, right? Like, <laughs> I got an amen from the back there. Uh, you know, like, there's the unknown of the future, but you know how good that cheesecake is in the moment, right? I always use cheesecake as my, it's like my go-to cheesecake, guys, just cheesecake. Um, anyway, the, the sacrifice, you only sacrifice for something that is worth it. So if your future health is not worth it to you, you're gonna choose the unhealthy, Right? You're going to choose the thing that you see as most important. Is the gospel good enough for us to be willing to give up the temporary pleasures in order to live with renewed minds? Is it being a living sacrifice, saying, I don't, I'm trying to put down what I want for the sake of what he has called me to be and to do. And if I'm going to abide in him, I need to walk as he walked. If I'm going to wear the name of Christian, if I'm going to wear the name of believer, I need to walk as he walked. Therefore, I have to sacrifice my fleshly desires, the thing that I think that I want to do that might not be kingdom focused. 
is the gospel good enough for you? That's the question we have to ask ourselves so that we can live and love with our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind focused on Jesus. Giving him the glory, living as he lived. It is vital that we allow this good news to become the best thing in our lives. That we are less enamored with the temporary. That we understand that victory is coming. That what we suffer here on earth is temporary. And what we are called to do is to take up our cross. Knowing that victory is coming. To share the gospel with others. To love and live like Jesus did. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that watching how you lived, looking over the past months of what your life was like here on earth would change us. God, that the good news of the gospel would be the best thing for us. That everything else would be worth sacrificing because of how highly we value the gospel. Because of how much of a priority it is that we walk like you walked and we would sacrifice our own desires, renew our minds. God, let us be people who love and live like you did. We wouldn't just blend in and conform to this world, but that we would stand out because we're loving and living like you, because you stood out. Let that be our example. Let us not get bogged down with the storms and the things we're going through because we're giving them up to you and focused on how great you are. It's your name we pray, amen.